Take your Bibles and turn with us to the book of Daniel, chapter 2. We started to study the book of Daniel last week, and we're continuing that today, so we come to Daniel, chapter 2. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but it's a long chapter of 40, say, 49 verses, but we will read uh, 35 of those verses this morning. Following your Bibles as we read beginning in verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams, wherewith his spirit was troubled, and his sleep brake from him. Then the king commanded to all the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans for to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have dreamed a dream, and my spirit was troubled to know the dream. Then spake the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The thing is gone from me. If ye will not make known unto me the dream, with the interpretation thereof, ye shall be cut in pieces, and your, dung, and your houses shall be made a dunghill. But if you show the dream and the interpretation thereof, ye shall receive of me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore show me the dream and the interpretation thereof. They answered again and said, Let the king... Tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation of it. The king answered and said, I know of a certainty that ye would gain the time, because ye see the thing is gone from me. But if ye will not make known unto me the dream, there is but one decree for you, for ye have prepared lying and corrupt words to speak before me, till the time be changed. Therefore tell me the dream, and I shall know that ye can show me the interpretation thereof. The Chaldeans answered before the king and said, There is not a man upon the earth that can show the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It's a rare thing that the king requireth, and there is none other that can show it before the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this cause, the king was angry, and he very furious, and he commanded to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. And the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they sought Daniel and his fellows to be slain. Then Daniel answered with with counsel and wisdom to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, which was gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree so hasty from the king? Then Arioch made the thing known to Daniel. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, his companions, that they would desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning this secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons, he removeth kings, he setteth up kings, he giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things, he knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hast given me wisdom and might, and hast made known unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou hast now made known unto unto us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went in unto Arioch, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. 
He went and said thus unto to him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captains of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Daniel answered in, in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot with the wise men or the astrologers or the magicians or soothsayers uh, show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets, and he maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. And as for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy, into thy mind upon thy bed what should come to pass hereafter. And he that revealeth secrets maketh, make, maketh known uh, to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any, any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold a great image, the great image whose brightness, and ex, whose brightness was excellent stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. The image's head was of fine gold, and the breast and arms were of silver, and the belly and thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron and the clay and the brass and the silver and the gold broken in pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reading of this wonderful passage. We thank you that you... The God of heaven knows secrets. In fact, there's nothing secret to you, Lord. It's only secret to men. But you know everything. We thank you that you control history. And truly it is his story, your story. And we thank you for that. Help us to understand the message of this passage and give us discernment, Lord, so that we as God's people will not worry, will not fret, We'll not live a life that's where we're afraid of things, but we will, we will follow you because we know that you know all things and we don't have to be afraid of the future. If there's somebody here that's not saved, help them to realize their, their need of Jesus and may they trust you today. You've been able to bring the message, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever wished you could know what the future holds? We think it'd be good if we knew the results of our choices beforehand. That way, we would make the choice which we knew would turn out right for us. But of course, we cannot do that. Yet if we're Christian, you do know some, someone who don't, knows the future, and that is the Lord. He knows the results of your choices, and he instructs us to follow him so that our choices are right. He will never lead us astray. And so he tells us in Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. We have the privilege 
of walking on directed paths as Christians. Directed paths by God. We can do that. We can walk on those paths that where God knows the future and he's leading us the right way. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. And the believers are the ones who pray that. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He's going to take care of everything. He's going to meet my wants. And then it goes on to say, he leadeth me. The Lord's our shepherd and he leads us. Because of that, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the, all the days of my life, and then I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So are you going to follow the one who will lead you through all the circumstances of life? He knows what's ha- going to happen, and so he's going to lead you the right way. He's going to bless you through your life, and then in the end, he'll lead you all the way to heaven. Or are you going to follow someone who will lead you astray and lead you to hell? It's a, it's a choice everyone has to make. It shouldn't be a hard choice, but seems like for some it is. But the Lord wants us to follow him. In our study of Daniel, we come today to chapter 2. There we find that God knows the future. God knows everything about the future. So I'm going to break the passage up this morning and some, into an outline. The first point is going to be this, the distraught king. The distraught king. Nebuchadnezzar was a man of great power, but he was really upset. Because you see, he had a dream. And in this dream, it caused his spirit to be troubled. And it's so much so, he could not sleep. Have you ever had those sleepless nights? You know, you just couldn't get back to sleep. I usually get to sleep really uh, pretty quick. You know, I can go to sleep pretty quick. But sometimes when I wake up in the, mor- in the, in the mid-morning, maybe 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, something like that, it's hard for me to go back to sleep. And uh, sometimes I can, sometimes I can't. But if you've ever spent sleepless nights, you know something what Nebuchadnezzar experienced. He was troubled by what he saw, and he couldn't go to sleep. He called for the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans to show him his dream. He wanted to know about that dream. They asked him, they said, King, well, tell us the dream, and we'll show you what the interpretation thereof. And the king uh, said that, uh, no. They must tell him the dream and the interpretation or they would all be killed. They'd be cut to pieces. Their houses would be made a dunghill. In other words, he says, you either tell me my dream or I'll kill you. Then we see the deceitful elites. I call them the elites because they were sort of the elite people. You know, the Chaldeans, the sorcerers, and uh, these uh, people who would the magicians and all that, they were considered wise men in, in, in Babylon. And so, but they were deceitful. And the Bible says that they asked him again to tell them the dream. And the king knows that, no, he's not going to tell them the dream because he doesn't know it for one thing, but he knows they have prepared lying and corrupt words for him. He saw through them. I imagine he, he remembers something about those Jewish guys, you know, that 10 times better than all the rest. Yet he still had all the rest. And he says, you guys, I know you're going to have lying words to give me, and I can't tell you the dream anyway because I've forgotten the dream. So the king says, no, he's not going to do that, and he's not going to tell them because he can't, and so they must interpret the dream or or they would be destroyed. Well, the Bible says that the king was angry, and he was very furious at them, and he, destroyed, he commanded that they be destroyed because they said 
this. They said, King, no other king would ever ask such a thing because nobody on the earth is able to tell the dream and the interpretation. Only the gods could do that, and the gods don't dwell with the flesh. And so the king was very furious. I mean, he was king. He was the one who didn't care to kill somebody. Remember, he killed the last king of Judah. And if, before he killed him, he killed, he killed uh, his sons before his eyes. And then, I mean, he didn't kill him. He, he, he killed his sons before his eyes. And then he put his eyes out and then took him off into captivity. It's a wicked king, Nebuchadnezzar. And so he says, I'll just kill you. And so he was very furious. He was very mad. And then we come to the part of the chapter that talks about the dependable servants of God. You see, God has servants that serve him. And uh, in Daniel's day, there was Daniel and there was his friends. These dependable servants serve the Lord in all circumstances. So Daniel hears the decree. I mean, they're going to kill all the wise men, and he and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're, they're Babylonian names, uh, they're going to die because they're considered the wise men. So he asks Arioch, who, com- who comes to, to kill him, he says, why? What's, what's going on? Evidently, he didn't know about this. And so Arioch tells him why and tells him the circumstances and all that. So Daniel went to Nebuchadnezzar. It's interesting that Daniel went to Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, he must have had some access to Nebuchadnezzar. He must have had respect from Nebuchadnezzar. So he went to see the king. And he told the king, he says, you give me some time and I promise you, I will show you the interpretation of the dream. Now he trusted the Lord. And he says, I'll show you the interpretation. So Daniel and his three friends prayed. He got them together, and it says in verses 17 and 18, they had a prayer meeting. And they prayed. And they prayed for the mercies of the God of heaven that they would not perish, that they would not be killed. And the only way that could happen is if the Lord would reveal to them the dream. Now, Daniel's the spokesman, and Daniel's the one who has the dream revealed to him. But all of them are together, and they're talking about it. Uh, They said, we will pray. Or he said, we will pray. And so they prayed together and just shows us how important it is to pray uh, together. Well, God revealed the secret. God revealed the secret to to Daniel, and God answered the prayer. Look at verse 19. It says this, Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And God revealed to Daniel in a night vision exactly what he revealed to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar forgot the dream. And so there's only one person in all the universe who knows what the dream is, and that's God. And so Daniel goes to the source and says, Lord, please tell me the dream, and we're going to be killed if you don't. And so God revealed the dream in a vision. And then Daniel, the Bible says that uh, in verse 20, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, and wisdom, for wisdom and might are his. He says, God, you have wisdom and you have might. Only you could do this. You have great wisdom and might. And he, cha- and he says this about God. He says he changes the times and the seasons. You know, that's, that's interesting. The God can change the times and the seasons. You think you're going through a really rough time, and, and all of a sudden it turns out to be a really good time. <laughs> Only God can do that. And he t- changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. 
Have you ever prayed that a king or a leader would be removed? <laughs> In the present situation, most of us have. <laughs> but let me remind you, the one we want removed is the one God set up. <laughs> now, God must have had a purpose. God does everything. He knows what he's doing. And so he had a purpose for that. And so God takes kings down and he sets up kings. And then he says, he giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. Therefore, we should all, we should all be, uh, we should actually have what we call, the, what the Bible calls a fear of God. Because God knows everything. If you're doing something in the dark and you think nobody knows, God knows. Because it's just like broad daylight to him. God knows everything. It says, the, the light dwelleth with him. And I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who hast given me wisdom and might and hast made known unto me now what we desired of thee. We desired of thee. They had a prayer meeting. For thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. You know, that's an encouragement, isn't it? For us to get together and pray. It's an encouragement to pray about something. And uh, I know we want to build a new church building up on the property on Route 22. And uh, we need to pray much about that. And we need to pray together about that. We're having a building committee meeting on Tuesday. And I'll guarantee you, we're going to have a prayer meeting there. We'll have things to discuss, but we're going to pray together because God wants us to pray. And God's able to do all things, isn't he? He's such a great God, and Daniel recognized that. And so God reveals a secret to Daniel, and then Daniel tells Arioch that he knows the dream. Look at verse 24. Therefore Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. It isn't interesting that Daniel's first request is, don't destroy these wise men. He didn't say, don't destroy us. He said, don't destroy the wise men. Now, these same, some of these strange same wise men are going to be ones that turn against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego later. But uh, he prays for them, says, don't destroy the wise men. He asked the king not to do that. And then he says, bring me in before, or ask Arioch not to do that. He says, bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. So you get me another hearing with the king, and I will show him the interpretation. Then Arioch brought Daniel before the king in haste, very quickly, and said thus unto him, I have found the man of the captains of Judah. Well, really, he didn't find the man. The man found him, really. But he said, I've found a man of the captains of Judah. I imagine that just sort of rang a bell in Nebuchadnezzar's mind because he remembers these guys who wouldn't eat the meat, sacrificed to idols, wouldn't drink the wine or anything like that. And uh, yet after three years, they were ten times better than all the rest. And he says, I've found the man of the captives of Judah, that he will make known unto the king the interpretation. The king answered to Daniel and said, whose name is Belteshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Can you really do this? And he says, yes, I can do that. And uh, he tells him, tells him the dream. So Arioch hears that the, the dream is going to be uh, told, and then he, said, he thinks to himself, no doubt, I don't have to kill any of these men. And so everything changed for him. 
You know, God changed the times and the seasons. Arioch was what? He was on a season to go kill a bunch of wise men. And all of a sudden, it changes. Who changed it? God changed it. And God can do the same in our lives. So Daniel answers. He said, look at verse 27. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, first of all, the secret which the king had demanded cannot the wise men, astrologers, magicians, soothsayers show unto the king. Well, the king knew that. But then he says this, but there is a God in heaven who can. There is a God in heaven who can. I remind you, when people can't do something, there is a God in heaven who can. When you're not able to do something, there's a God who can. When you're not able to change people, there's a God who can. When you're not able to understand the situation, there's a God who can tell you uh, what's going on. God knows everything and can do everything. There's a God who can. He says, he revealeth secrets and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and thy visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. Now, he says the God of heaven can. God did not reveal because Daniel had great wisdom, but because Daniel, because there were two reasons. And that is, he says in verse 28, I think it is, he said, uh, verse, verse 30, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king. The reason God is revealing this is for us. <laughs> but what, because what did they pray? They said, Lord, reveal to us the dream so we won't be killed. And so God answered the prayer. Two reasons, so they wouldn't be killed, and then also that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. Why did God give Nebuchadnezzar a dream? Because he wanted to know Nebuchadnezzar to know something. Why did God make Nebuchadnezzar forget it? Because God had a purpose and a plan. He was going to bring Daniel in to interpret it and all that. So God knows what he's doing. And he says that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. Now, I want you to look back. And um, let's see, I, I missed this, but um, verse 29. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? And when God gave Nebuchadnezzar this dream, what was going through Nebuchadnezzar's mind before? He was doing like all of us do. I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder how this is going to turn out. You might be going through a situation and, you think, and you're troubled about it, and you wonder, how's this going to turn out? And the Bible says God knows how, when you're thinking those thoughts. Have you ever thought about that, that God knows all of your thoughts? When you have an evil thought, God knows it. When you think about something that God has reminded you of, you need to know, God knows that you've been thinking about that, and God knows it also that you did not do it. God knows all of our thoughts. And even a wicked king like Nebuchadnezzar, when he was thinking, I wonder what's going to happen in my kingdom. I wonder what's going to happen after I'm gone. He's thinking those things, so God answers that question and gives him this dream to tell him what's going to happen in the future. And so all that is, is going on while this, while this dream is a part of the story. So the God of heaven can, and God reveals the secret uh, to, to Daniel. Now let's look at the details of the dream. First of all, we see them in verse 29 and then, and then verse 31. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. 
what shall come to pass hereafter, and he that reveals secrets make known to us to thee what shall come to pass. So this is what's going to come after. Then look at verse 31. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and, 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 the, and the form thereof was terrible. So God saw an, or Nebuchadnezzar saw an image. If you can picture in your mind this great image, I've seen various pictures of it. We don't know exactly what it looked like, but we have details that we need to know. He saw an image, and he said, first of all, in verse 31, this image was great. I mean, it was huge. We notice in the next chapter when Nebuchadnezzar makes a form of probably of that image, he makes it of gold, it's 90 feet high. (laughs) So I don't know how high this one was he saw, but it was great. And then he says its brightness was excellent and its form was terrible. So it was frightening. It was big, it was bright, and it was frightening. And uh, so Nebuchadnezzar maybe remembered those details about that it was big, bright, and frightening, frightening, but he couldn't remember anything else. But he said, you saw this, and now I'm going to tell you what you saw, and here it is. You saw a head of gold. This image had a head of gold. Verse 32. It had a breast and arms of silver. It had belly and thighs, the upper part of the legs, had belly and thighs of brass. And then legs of iron, and then down in the feet and the toes, they were part iron and part clay. Verse 33. And then he said, you saw this. A stone came a stone cut out without hands. Some way he saw that, the stone coming out, and no hands had cut the stone out. But this stone comes, comes, and it hits the base of the image, and it hits the, the, the feet of iron and clay, and destroys them. And the Bible says that it hits the iron and the clay, and the feet, and then the iron, the clay, the, the brass, the silver, and the gold all disintegrate. They're broken in pieces, and they become like chaff. Chaff, of course, is you take wheat, and uh, they would used to uh, garner it this way, and they would throw it up to the wind after they'd crushed it, and everything. they'd throw it up to the wind, and the wind would blow away the chaff, the worthless uh, part of it, and then the grain would fall down. So the chaff, is worthless. Uh, that's sort of God's estimation, I guess, of what man does. It's not much. We think it's great. God says, just like chaff. So it drives it away. It became as chaff. The wind carries it away, and there's found no place for them. So it's just like it never existed. All the great accomplishments of man, just like they never existed, and God, and God blows them away. And then the stone that... Be, that that hit the foot of the image becomes a great stone like a mountain and fills the whole earth. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is struck. That's exactly what he dreamed. He now remembers. It's exactly right. The details are exactly right. And so then we need the interpretation. So what does it mean? And Daniel gives the interpretation. We started in verse 36. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. 
So you're the king of kings. I mean, you're greater than any ruler on the, on the earth. And of these first Gentile world rulers, you are the greatest. You're the head of gold. In fact, God gives, gave you the kingdom, and he's sort of reminding Nebuchadnezzar, God gave you the kingdom, not you. Like, like uh, it wasn't because of my wisdom that God gave me an interpretation of the dream. It was God's will. And it was God's will that you be king, Nebuchadnezzar. So God gave you the kingdom. God gave you power. God gave you strength. And God gave you glory. You know, he didn't recognize that at this time. He didn't really probably agree with it. Because later he stands and looks over his kingdom and he says, this great kingdom that I have built. And God humbles him, as we'll see later in, in messages coming up. And he a ruler over all. Well, we know that this Babylonian kingdom only lived, only lasted 70 years. But God said this first Gentile kingdom, it's Babylon, and you're the head of gold. And then he says in verse 39, uh, the latter part of the verse, it said, and after thee shall rise another kingdom. So you wondered, Nebuchadnezzar, what's going to come after? What's going to come in the, in, the, in the future? You've been thinking about this. I'm going to tell you what's going to come in the future. Now, Nebuchadnezzar knew about Babylon because he was in it. He was the head of it. But he didn't know what was happening, what was coming. He wondered about what's coming in the future. God knows. Let me remind you something. God knows our future. God knows where you're gonna, when you're going to die. God knows how the situation you're going through right now is going to turn out, God knows the future. And so God tells him, he says, uh, I know the future. It shows to him that he knows the future. And he says, but after thee, there's going to come another kingdom. Look at what it says again in verse 39. He says, and after thee shall rise another kingdom inferior to thee. Won't be as great as you are. You're the head of gold. It's inferior to you, and it's made of silver. It's made of silver. Silver is inferior to gold, and, but uh, the, this kingdom, that this was the Medes and the Persians that followed the Babylon. It was the Medes and the Persians. That kingdom lasted for about 200 years, and that kingdom was known for its silver. There were vast hordes of silver in this kingdom, it, and uh, so it was known for the silver, just like Babylon was known for the gold. In fact, uh, an ancient historian uh, Rodotus, uh, something like that, it, I'm not sure of the pronunciation, said he never saw such abundance of gold at anywhere in the earth as in Babylon. So Babylon was known for its gold. The Medes and the Persians were known for their silver, and so God says this second part is made of silver. And then there was another one following that. Look at verse 39 again, and it says, and another third kingdom of brass which shall bear rule over all the earth. And so after this second one is the third kingdom, and it's of brass. That, as we know from history, was the Greek Empire. It was the Greek Empire. Warriors were clad in brass. Everything about them, they had a brass shield, they had a brass helmet, they had a brass breastplate. Uh, it was brass. In fact, they were known as, as, uh, as, the, as the Greeks who were, were called the brazen-coated Greeks. <laughs> they were known for their, for their brass. That kingdom lasted about 130 years. And then there was another one followed that. Look at verse 40. 
And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subject and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these shall it break in pieces and bruise. It is a brutal kingdom. And the Roman Empire, which followed the Greek Empire, is known for its brutality. And so it's iron, it's very strong, stronger than the others, but inferior to in quality to the others. Strong as iron. It lasted about 500 years, the, the, uh, the Roman Empire. And then he says, after that, iron is the feet. And the feet are made of clay and iron. The Bible says in verse 41, because it's divided. Verse 42, it's partly strong and partly broken. Verse 43, it did not cleave one to another. So the, the iron and the clay doesn't cleave one to another. So it's a divided uh, kingdom. It's, it's weaker, but it's, it's strong in lots of ways, but it has internal weaknesses to it. Now, if you notice, as we go through those different kingdoms, the deterioration. Gold, silver, brass, iron. Iron's strong, but the quality is not there. The value is not there. So the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar, was the greatest Gentile kingdom there was. And so it's gold, silver, brass, iron. And then when you get down to the feet, it's iron and clay. So when man is in control, this always happens. Things deteriorate. I have a quote from Dr. Wearsby. He said this, As we survey history on one level, we see progress and improvements. But when we go deeper... We see decay and decline, and how true that is. Another quote that he had was, the heart of every problem is the problem of the heart, rebellion against God, and that's true. Yes, America has deteriorated as we have progressed. We have great achievements in medicine, agriculture, construction, technology, and many other fields. Yet society has deteriorated to new lows in in the Decency, new lows in morality, in respect of authority, and many other uh, sections of our, of our society we could mention. Marriages are falling apart. Homes are deteriorating. Sin is approved of and celebrated. Homosexuality is approved of and celebrated. Pornography is just a normal thing anymore, and people uh, participate in it all the time. Transgenderism, which is just... a a terrible thing. It's mental illness, really, but it's approved of and celebrated, and we could go on and on, the decay in our society. As man rebels against God, things get worse, not better. It will continue that way until Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom, and that's exactly what this passage says. There's going to be these kingdoms. God's saying, I know what's coming. There's going to be these kingdoms there's going to be the Babylonian kingdom, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks, and then the Romans. And in the end, there'll be that, what, we, what some of us call the revived Roman Empire. And I believe that'll be in the end times during the tribulation period under the Antichrist. In chapter 7, we'll talk about those toes. And so that's coming. That's, that's yet future. But in every one, it keeps deteriorating. It gets worse and worse until God takes over. And then God takes and he brings this stone, this mount, this stone that comes out, out, cut out without the mountain without hands. 
and it casts and hits the bottom, the foot of that image, and it all just crumbles. And then that stone becomes a mountain and fills the whole earth. What is that stone? That stone is Jesus. Because the Bible says at the end of the tribulation period, when that revived Roman Empire of the, of the iron and the clay is, is trying to rule the world, the Lord's going to come in and he's going to destroy it. And the Bible says Jesus is going to come back and he's going to have riding on a white horse and he's coming with his, with his army behind him. They're on white horses. I believe that'll be we believers. And then he's going to destroy all of his enemies and set up his kingdom and he's going to rule and reign on this earth for 1,000 years. He'll rule with a rod of iron and righteousness will prevail all over the world. Sickness will be almost non-existent and so many changes we looked at a couple weeks ago in the message. And so Jesus Christ is coming. He is that stone. So as we observe things deteriorating around us, remember this. Jesus wins. <laughs> Jesus wins. And so I have to ask this morning, since that's true, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? If you're one of those who rebel against God, you know, you curse him with your mouth, you do all these sins that you know are wrong, and if you're a young person, you, you know, you smart off to your parents, you disobey your parents, you get to school and you have a good time with your friends and you know it's what your parents and your church doesn't approve of and the Bible doesn't approve of, but you do it anyway, guess what? You're on the wrong side. And that side's going to lose. And Jesus is going to win. Now, what, what about this society we live in? It's deteriorating. It's getting worse and worse and worse. We know that. God tells us that. God knows the future, and he says it's going to be that way, and we observe it all around us. But what about us? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if you trust Jesus as your personal, personal Savior, you're a new creation. You're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You're a different person. The Bible says in Romans 8, 27, or 37, that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Amen. So even though the world is deteriorating around us, we don't have to participate in that deterioration. We can be victorious. We can be conquerors in this world. And if we are, we will stand out like a sore thumb. <laughs> the worse it gets... The, more, the easier it is, really, for Christians to shine. Because the darker the background, the brighter the light, even though it might be small. It really shows in the darkness. That's what Philippians chapter 4 says, or chapter 2 says. Listen as I read. For it is God which worketh in you, both the will and the do of his good pleasure. Because God's working in us to make us different. Do all things without murmurings, and disputings. I like to see, like this morning, before church started, everybody's talking, everybody's having a good time, and there didn't, somebody's told me different times, it don't seem like there's any clicks in this church. I don't think there are. But people just love each other, and that's so great. The Lord says, no murmurings and disputings. And then he says this, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. 
Yes, the world's deteriorating all around us. But it's a perfect opportunity for us to shine for Jesus. We do not need to wish that we knew the future, like we mentioned as we started. We don't have to say, well, I wish I know what's going to happen tomorrow. God tells us exactly what he wants us to know about the future. And really, as a Christian, if you know the Bible, you know a whole lot. I mean, you know that Jesus is going to come back and take us home with him. He's going to rapture the church out of here, and it will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And then after that, there's going to be a terrible time of trouble down on this earth of seven years, and God gives us the details and uh, seal judgments, uh, trumpet judgments, vile judgments, and tells all the details about it. And then he tells about him coming back and setting up his kingdom for 1,000 years. And I mean, all that. And then after that, he tells us all the details about the new Jerusalem that's going to come down out of heaven. Uh, foundations of it, what the gates are made of, what the walls are made of, what the streets are made of. I mean, God tells us a whole lot. But there's a lot we don't know. There's a lot we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, do we? We don't know what's going to happen about that thing we're praying about, that family member that's having trouble. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know the details of that. But really, we don't need to know. Because what do we need to do? The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Follow Jesus, and I guarantee you, it'll lead you to the right place. <laughs> but if you don't follow Jesus, you're in for a rude awakening. Yes, the world's deteriorating all around us, but God knows the future. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for encouraging us by knowing that you know the future, you control the future. And Lord, I pray that we as God's children might realize we're on the victory side. We don't need to worry. We don't need to fret because all we need to do is follow you. Lord, if there's one here today who's never trusted Jesus, help them to realize they're on the wrong side and it's going to lead to the wrong place and they'll eternally regret it that they did not trust Jesus. So Lord, work in that heart and I pray that you would remind them that Jesus loved them, died for them on the cross, paid the price for their sins, was buried, rose again the third day, and invites them to come to him in repentance and faith and trust you as their Savior. I pray they would do that today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.